Welcome to On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. So in this episode, we interview Nugget McNaught, a real legend in Australian Muay Thai. He was one of the pioneers, did a lot in Thailand, also did a lot bringing back the sport to Australia. He has his own gym now in the east part of Australia, traveled a lot as well, worked in Germany, Thailand, Singapore, and Malaysia. We talk about that in this episode. So definitely a lot to learn from Nugget and his experiences. So without further ado, the interview with Nugget. Okay, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, Nugget, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Matt? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So let's start at the very beginning. Let's start with your own fight career. When did it get started? Were you based out of Queensland at the time? What was going on? I actually started karate when I was 13 and then moved from karate, you know, like Mm -hmm. as anyone in fight sports does. I wanted something more real. And then I heard about Muay Thai and, and some guys I knew taught Muay Thai. So I started going to a gym where they were. And yeah, it sort of started in that way. And that, that I, was, I would have been 17 when I started Thai boxing. Then I'd say I had my first fight at 18. And then it sort of all started from there. And were you doing Zendo Kai? Is, because that was yeah. quite popular. Yeah. yeah, I was doing Zendo Kai karate. Yeah, it was very, like it was huge. All Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Brisbane, and also in Perth, it was quite big as well. And then you had your first fight at 18. Where was the fight? What was sort of the Muay Thai scene like at the time? I used to fight at Beanley Tavern all the time. The, the fight scene was, it was actually, when I first started getting into fight, my brother took me to my first kickboxing show at, at 15 years old. And, I, and I, I fell in love with it then. I think that's why I chased the Thai boxing a bit. And I actually watched a guy fight who, who's a really well-known journeyman like good had like over 100 something fights jim shannon jimmy shannon he, he, he i seen him fight and yeah so it sort of went from there and yeah I, i'd say australia australia's always had a healthy fight scene i think just just due to aussies being tough blokes i don't know <laughs> yeah I've, that's definitely the rumor i've seen it before too the australian yeah, kids yeah. definitely come strong um, so was that first fight kickboxing or was it straight Muay Thai? No, no, it was actually, it was Thai boxing, but there was no elbows. I didn't mm, fight with mm, elbows. Mm. And how many fights did you have in uh, Australia? And then when did you first start traveling to Thailand? I had 52 professional fights in my career and I had 36 wins and 26 of those were by KO. Uh, as far as like me traveling to Thailand was probably 1993 is my first trip to Thailand. And yeah, I think that's where, when I really look at my, I don't know, my addiction to Thailand started there. It wasn't just the hookers, it was it was training and everything, <laughs> so yeah. Um, and where did you go when you first came to Thailand and what was it like? When I first went to Thailand, uh, I went to Sichuan, like every every Australian did back then. Every everybody, whether you were from Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Queensland, you you went to Sichuan because that was the camp that everybody knew. So, yeah, I, I would say my first experience. It was a good experience. I, I stayed there for eight weeks. Uh, I, I got to train with like 
There were guys like Chat Chai, uh, Nor Torani. There were heaps of good fighters at the time. I think I actually, without even knowing, I actually went and watched Nor Torani fight uh, the Deadly Kisser at Lumpini. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I actually saw it live. But but at the time when I watched it, I didn't know who they were. And <laughs> Nor Torani actually had like tonsillitis or something before the fight. And for seven days before the fight, he never came out of his room. He didn't train. He didn't do anything. And like in my head, because he was all over posters and stuff, I thought, oh, yeah, he, he's not going to fight. And bam, he mm-hmm. fought like a monster. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you remember what the result of that was? I don't. I, to be honest, I don't. I think Nortorini lost, but, uh-huh. but it was a, like a real, like a five round war, like, yeah. like a legendary match. That was definitely towards the height of uh, Sang Tianoi and. Yeah, they, they were they were definitely yeah they were definitely in their pro- like it was the it was like they were red hot like it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't the end of their career they were they were big names. And what was it like at the time? And you know, their early nineties, there definitely wasn't a lot of foreigners and not a lot of foreigner friendly gyms either. So what was the experience like? For me, when I when I hear stories and that of people saying Thailand, I have a bit of a laugh because you see Phuket and you see different places where everybody's invited and there's all different nationalities all training. Man, the Thais didn't, in 1993, the Thais wouldn't even let you in the gym. Sichitong <laughs> was probably, it had good fighters. Like I, I watched that <laughs> Chat Chai train every day and he was unbelievable. Like his push kick, everything, everything he did was, was crazy good. But when I look at, other places are, you know, like, you know, you, you're, you're away from your own country. You want to travel. You want to experience things. Wherever we went, we'd just get blocked. No, because mm-hmm. we were white. Like, or not white, but like mm-hmm. Westerners flung. So they just say, no, no, no. Like, they think we were bad. To see the mm-hmm. change in 20, 30 years, it's crazy. Like, yeah. but, but I suppose that's business as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it took a long time for the Thais to realize there was a market for the foreigners and also the foreigners had to get better because, you know, what's the point of training some kid who's like versus 2000 baht when you have a guy that's 200,000 baht. And it's, and it's like, like you say, Matt, like at that time in that era, we weren't good enough. Like, like of course, John Wayne went there and stayed and, and trained and did everything and he, and he worked his way up. But before that, they didn't. They didn't even acknowledge us as being able to punch, kick, or anything. And the grapple, mm-hmm. like nobody had any idea of grappling or or the elbows or anything. The infight of Muay Thai. Yeah, you could punch and kick, but when when you got into the clinch, you were dead. You're gonna die. Mm-hmm. And so you had uh, that first experience at Studio Tong, and then you start to travel back and forth regularly. What happened next? Yeah, well, well, I I got a funny story from Sichitong because the trainers, you know, not the Thai trainers are like they always want to get someone to fight or do whatever. And I'm there with my mate Bob Crawford, and uh, they say to me, "Oh, you want to fight?" And I'm like 50-50, like I'm not confident, you know what I mean? But my mate, who's like a giant, big heavyweight, say, "Yeah, he'll <laughs> fight, he'll fight." So they get they put me in a best friend bar, and the fight works like, like probably 30 seconds i don't even i think i shut my eyes and threw a punch and old mate fell on the ground but he's probably the cook or the taxi driver from down the road but i win the fight and i'm the champ right there oh, hey, oh you're good you're good but now i know thailand <laughs> looking back it was the full sting they said then the next week i go back to the gym and they say ah you fight again you fight again this time but this time you fight at the stadium ah but not a good boy not a good boy well, I go to the stadium, I say, yeah, my mate again, yeah, he'll fight, he'll fight. 
I go to the stadium, I fight, and I man, I'm it's a total mismatch. But I survived the first round because the tie obviously starts a bit mm-hmm. slower. But in the second round, I, I swear the the referee he's definitely going to heaven because he <laughs> saved my life as knees were flying past my head and everything like, like I was just miss like it was mm-hmm. just a mismatch. You know what I mean? But but that I think all these experiences I had earlier in my Muay Thai career helped me become the trainer mm-hmm. that I've become today and, and to read the play on not just not just in the ring but also the yeah. activity outside mm-hmm. of the ring. You know what I mean? You have to, you have to be smart. Yeah. You know, and I think it's at least a long time ago, it was a lot harder to sort of rate foreigners as well and match yeah. them properly. Now it's a bit easier. Yeah, but they only had one. They only had one Westerner they could really rate it on, and that's Raymond Decker. Yeah, and there's only one sure. of him. So, so that was in the early '90s. Uh, what happened with your career after that? Then I then I came back to Australia, and obviously on different shows I fought different ties that they'd bring over. Mm-hmm. So I made it in my head that every time I'd fight a tie, I'd ask where they're from, what gym they're from, mm-hmm. and then. Back and forth, I would communicate. Oh, actually, this sounds funny. I fought a tie from Mr. Takoon's gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gym name is, uh, you know it? Oh, yes, uh, Sassy Proper. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I fight a guy from that gym, Pan Pet Sipaporn. And he was mm-hmm. actually the Rajananum champion at the time or at the, mm-hmm. at the end of his career. I fight him in Gold Coast. I get stopped in the third round or something. But we communicate afterwards and he spoke a little bit of English. So I get his I get his address and everything, and we pen mm-hmm. like this sounds wanky, but we pen pal and like write to each other. Maybe <laughs> you know six months, and then I say, hey, I'm coming to mm-hmm. Thailand. Every, I used to go to Thailand every January just before Australia Day. Mm-hmm. I, I I write to him and say, hey, I'm coming to Thailand. I've saved my money. I'm going to come and stay. Uh, can I come and train with you? And man, he he picked me up at the airport. Like that's the first time I got that Thai friendship of like how much they'll go out of their way to pick you up and take you everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I went with my friend uh, Brendan Humpty Short, which was one of my fighters, and we trained there for, I think it was three weeks, say two weeks. And then I didn't fight in Bangkok at that time, mm-hmm. but but we did a lot of, lot of training with them and this and that. And I, I think that's something, friendship, that comes from when you fight someone, yeah. you automatically, in a weird way, become brothers. I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. you, you don't forget each other, but... And so I go to that gym, and then the next gym I went to the next year, 2000, oh no, sorry, 1994, that would have been, 95, I think I went to Kiap Pet, mm-hmm. Mr. Chun's gym. Mm-hmm. So I turn up there, and like, we don't even know what Channel 7 was, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but all, all the Channel 7 fighters are fighting there. <laughs> and then I ended up, become, I, bought, I bought some fighters from, in 2000, probably 2000, or early, maybe, I don't know, 1998, 99. I bought some fighters from Thailand, and it was from Eminent Air, Mr. Sombun's gym. Mm -hmm. So I bring four or five fighters out, and straight away we become mates. And then so that's where my link with Soren, I started to send Soren to Eminent Air. Mm -hmm. I also sent Daddy Cool to Eminent Air. So like most of the fighters from my gym started going to Eminent Air. So yeah, they started going there in the early 2000s, and then like around 2006 or so was like. Soren came back, right? Yeah, Soren. Soren actually fought in his first fight in Lumpini was 
2003. Mm-hmm. And I remember flying over. He didn't train with me at that stage. He'd stayed in Tha- he went to Thailand and he actually trained at Jatui's gym. Oh, saying Morika. At that at that yeah, yeah. He's trained there. Jatui got him the fight. And then we came back, and then we, we continued to go back and forth mm-hmm. from Eminem and mm-hmm. because we had a relationship with Mr. Sombun, mm-hmm. uh, Santi, and guys like that mm-hmm. from that gym. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty. I'm sort of familiar with some of those guys. Uh, so, what was sort of the tail end of your career like, and then well, how did you sort of transition into coaching more? Well, I suppose I was always a coach right from day one. So when I had my first fight, my mates all wanted to fight. Josh Sexton. Humpty, everybody wanted to fight because I fought. So we all we all got together and we just trained together as a group in a in a garage shed type gym. As far as my career goes, I I, I retired in 2000. But when I look back, I probably shouldn't have retired. But I promised my granny I would stop when I was 30. <laughs> so I kept me promise to my granny. And I, I fought the, in two in 1998. I fought Tony Coburn, the bull rider. It was a bit of an ugly fight, but but. I, th- I think I was I still won it, but the referees didn't stop it, like like didn't didn't do the right thing and one thing I, I dropped him and it, and it was like a 15 count, but then in the fifth round he cut my head and then they stopped it because of the blood, but yeah that's life. Uh, but then I went on after that I went to New Zealand and fought uh, Rocky a tie that stayed there. Uh, then after that I went in my last fight was Kurt Finlinson. And it was a bit of a joke fight because uh, my mate said, oh, you wouldn't fight Kurt Finlinson. Kurt Finlinson's not going to fight you. And then me and Kurt talk and his trainer. And then at one of the shows, Kurt Finlinson says after his fight, I wouldn't mind, you know, Nugget's getting old. I wouldn't mind fighting him. And I come out with a walking stick mucking around and, and accept the <laughs> challenge. I just joke him, like fun. And then uh, I end up fighting him. I stopped him in the second round. And then I stopped fighting then. So that would have been around just before May in 2000 and then I pretty much went into I was full-time trainer and I was promoting and that at that stage as well yeah you start promoting evolution correct we did shows before that I did my first show in 1998 but then Mm -hmm. obviously through time evolution evolved like came out of that but back then people people don't realize how good they've got it these days all these instagram fighters and promoters <laughs> man we did everything you were a fighter trainer promoter you're doing everything at once just to build the sport because mm-hmm. if we didn't do what we did then man the sport would be nothing now but but mm-hmm. it would be it would be at a really baby step but mm-hmm. in in saying that i i saw what myself and and you know say joe hilton mark pease uh the fogarty brothers uh, myself and Josh Sexton and Mr. Demacoli, Paul Demacoli, what we built mm-hmm. in that stage from 2003, say, to 2012 was a before the time. You know, like like uh, evolution, the shows, everything we did, we really kept it professional. The gyms all trained hard, everything. When I went, when I left Australia uh, in 2012 due to Campbell Newman's bikey laws. Uh, well, when I took off to <laughs> Thailand for a bit, I, I look I look now when I've come back and think, well, what happened? Like, what did st- all mm-hmm. these people wanted to be me or wanted to be big bosses and be the rulers of Thai boxing? Well, what did you do, you retards? You wrecked the whole sport. <laughs> you, you put it back 10 years. And, and anyone that says mm-hmm. that's not true is kidding themselves in Australia. 
They, they've done a, that. Yeah. So many idiots have done so much damage to this sport. You know, they can plaster me with you're a bikey, you're an ex-bikey, you're, you know, bad person. Man, what I do outside of the ring and what outside of, like, uh, training and what outside in my own social time, that's my time. I don't care. I don't give a mm-hmm. fuck what they think. But but as far as, as fight sports goes and, and everything, man, the, the guys I mentioned, mm-hmm. we built this. It was class. Mm-hmm. But now it's, t- it's really... My goal is to get it back to what it was. Yeah, I remember, you know, in the early international kickboxer magazine, seeing Evolution and seeing some of the fights on there. Like, I think Carnage was one of the stars. and Yeah, Carnage was one of the stars. John Wayne, Bruce McPhee. Yeah, Danny, or Daddy Cool, like you Daddy said. Daddy Cool, Danny Dadowski, Triple D, yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about uh, the Evolution Fight Series, how many you had? Uh, they were mainly held in Queensland. Yeah, the, the, we did, we did like one that? show We did one show in Melbourne mm-hmm. in the Evolution. I think it might have been about Evolution 17. Then, but there, so obviously there was there's 27 installments of it, mm. 27 shows. The last show was actually in Malaysia. I did that with some guys I met in Thailand, but... From from Evolution One, we started at RNA Showground, and then as it got bigger, we moved to the Chandler like sports venue thing with a big like a really big basketball hall and that with like the whole side tier seating and all that all ringside area. I think the best show we did like as far as numbers, we had five thousand people at the Challenger. We we bought, sorry the Contender. Mm-hmm. We bought all the people from Contender over to fight Australians and that, that we got about 5,000 people, which was like, man, that's crazy number compared to football or soccer. No, but compared to fight, fight sports, 5,000 people is a lot of people to have in a room. As always, if you'd like to follow me, you can do so on Instagram, Matt Lucas Muay Thai. I always respond to messages there. I also have the website, matt-lucas.com or email me at a period matt period lucas at gmail.com thanks to all the people that have supported me so far sharing the podcast leaving reviews if you'd like to leave a review that would be super helpful you can do so on the itunes store after years of hard work studying and being in the game i publish on fighting in thailand a guide to the sport in the motherland is a muay thai encyclopedia it goes over scoring, matchmaking, picking gym, fight styles, gambling, Muay Thai culture, and more. It contains a series of interviews with long-term expat fighters, including Michael Savas, Willie Whipple, Lisa Breely, Angela Chang, and others. It is a great guide, educates, and helps guide careers by helping save fighters from costly mistakes. It is a definitive guide and is available on Amazon as an ebook and in print. So go check it out on Fighting in Thailand, a guide to the sport in the motherland. And that was when um, Yeltsin Clyde fought John Wayne Parr for the finale, correct? Yeah, for that John Wayne Parr fought the finale with Yeltsin Clyde uh, in Singapore. And then after that show, we brought them all to Australia. But I think we brought Jabbar, Sean Wright, Zidoff. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't think of uh, Zach, Zigzag. So yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The Singaporean yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I sort of remember it was like a, a rehash of it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, what was throwing the shows like? You know, logistically, what were some of the details? Uh, look, I learned a lot in that time, and so did my business partner, Josh Sexton. I think looking at the shows that we did, when you look at, when you look at our production, man, it, you, we had stages, we had fireworks, we had Daddy Cool's pimp coming down with girls and, you know, walking sticks going in the air like you're gyrating. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, and like the big screens and everything we had. It, it was a really good setup. But we had a good team. Well, a lot of people don't realize that wasn't just two people. That was a team of people. And in, in life, anything you do, you can only go so far alone. If yeah. you've got a team of people and they all have the same dream, you're going to succeed. But it, it's one of those things you can't be in business. You can't be selfish. You can't. Yeah. You, have, you have to have a good team and know who's at the front, who's at the back, who's going to help doing this, who's going to do the set, set up, who's going to do the take, like the takedown. Like a, yeah, it, mm-hmm. ta- it takes a lot. Yeah, and you actually recently put on a boxing show, correct? Friday night. Uh, yeah, we do. We do Friday night fights under the lights. Yeah, yeah. We've done two two of them. Oh, that's good. The main event was actually I don't know whether you know this boxer's name. His name's Alex Leopie, and he actually fought that Russian dude Klitschko or whatever his name is mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. But his son was the main event versus another Islander kid, uh, two Islanders, and they're 15 years old. And they're, they're both like 120, 130 kilo, having their first boxing mm. fights. Both of them are in, I don't know, in rugby league, it's like a, they, they pick you when you're young and then you become some superstar. Both of these boys are both in these like squads for being famous footballers when they grow up. So it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it must have been cool, especially having taken a lot of the lessons from the Evolution Fight Series and still being able yeah. to buy it. Yeah, look, and, and Paul Demacoli does a heap. We, we, Friday, Friday Night Fights Under the Lights is myself, Steve Wajenko, who's my boxing coach and also the manager here, and uh, Mr. Demacoli, who runs Eruption. So well, we do it more for fun, and it's more like a community base, you know, like, like to give the people something. It's a non-alcoholic event. Uh, some of the sponsors' tables do have a little bit of alcohol, but... The, the general crowd can't drink there. It's all, it's all about the fighters and the young blokes and that, giving it a go. So they're not down the pub having a scrap. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so uh, you did the Evolution Fight Series and then you moved into the Challenger. Uh, can you talk about that and what that experience was like for you? Challenger is probably one of the highlights of my career that I, that I really uh, like think it was good for me. Uh, for many reasons. Personally, my, my dad actually passed away during that series. So, like, I'll, I'll always remember that because of that reason. But uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it was just, I, I worked with, like, there was, like, 18 or something, five, I don't know, 16 fighters from, the, the best fighters from around the world, from every country, all in one room, and we're training them. So, you know, like, it, and it wasn't just, tie, like, that. Yeah, it was about Thai boxing, but... You know, some guys from different countries don't have Thai boxing styles. They're not they're not going to elbow all the time. They're not going to knee. They're going to, you know, kickboxing and that. Like Marco PK, like it was great working with him. Jordan Watson, I still feel his kicks now in my arm. My arm's still probably sore from him kicking. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like so many good fighters. And we had one Australian boy in there, Reese Saliba, 
who was a late late fill in because one of the other guys couldn't come or something. But he he man, he'd give it a go. He didn't go backwards. He fought Tum, I think, from Samui. Mm-mm. And Tum went on to win. Yeah, the Tum series, went on to correct? win the series against Jordan Watson, which was a cracker fight. Yeah. And uh, you had some other people. Was uh, Pinto in it? No, he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Antoine. Antoine was in it. Uh, Musi, Musi from Iran was in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who else was in that? Uh, uh, Michael Corley was in it. The American uh, coach. Yeah, yeah. I called him Captain America. Yeah, he was in it. <laughs> he was in it. And look, look, I met that guy through a TV show. And now mm-hmm. he's gone on to being, a, I think, a bit of a mover and shaker in the American Muay Thai scene as far as, like, he's trying to promote Muay Thai and make it make it better for, for the American people. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, I know him personally, and he's definitely, his fight career was, you know, he went for it, but wasn't always successful. But now he's taken a lot of the lessons from his fight career and done a lot. For sure, Matt. You know, you know one thing I'll say? I I wasn't the world greatest fighter, man. I was sh- these days I was probably shit. But but <laughs> if I didn't have the passion I had for fighting then, and I didn't love it so much, I don't know. Maybe things wouldn't. Maybe Saren Munkentong wouldn't have ever existed. Daddy Cool, mm-hmm. all these guys. Mm-hmm. Thing things you might. The thing about being a trainer is you don't have to be the best fighter, but you've got to have a little bit of experience mm-hmm. to know the feelings and know the the emotions that come with fighting. The emotions that come with leading up to fights and after fights, and how to how to like you a big loss. Like man, some, dudes can win their whole life; they have one loss and it breaks them. You, you <laughs> have to know how to deal with all that stuff, and I think that's what makes a good trainer—someone that's experienced everything, not someone that's just all about winning, winning, winning. Mm-hmm. And what was it like training all these different people at the challenger? Yeah, it was it was really good. Uh, I know there was a thing with me and Cyrus Washington or whatever, but yeah, but like when I look back to it, that was more they they trick you on these TV shows to yeah, to fire yeah. up and they they say ah you you he t- said you didn't train him today or whatever and they, so they made it look like me and Cyrus wanted to go each other, but it was more little bits that they'd taken and and, mm-hmm. and like said to him and said to me and said to other coaches. Where, where that built up, but he, he was actually, when he trained, he was actually a good, good he kicked good, he, he, he knew his stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting, you know, especially with reality TV show, and, you know, when things are presented, it's, you know, presented in certain ways that isn't necessarily the entire truth, or like everyone's yeah. perspective, you know? Yeah. So what, what happened after you did the Challenger? Uh, you moved back to Thailand? I you- did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. No, no, no. I was in Australia still at that stage. Uh, that was 2011. Then I came back to Australia and we did a mm-hmm. few more evolutions. And then on evolution 26, I think, uh, the Queensland police decided to come in and uh, shut it down for unknown reasons to people. But a lot of people say we were money laundering and doing all this, which we totally weren't. And it's a bullshit thing. They just wanted to show a bit of power because some of my mates had been playing up the week before mm-hmm. or something. Who knows? But the the then at that point, they pretty much took my livelihood away from me. Like, how, how am I supposed to make an honest living if, they, if I can't run shows? And the gym didn't make, you know, at the time, my gym didn't make that much money, and it wasn't about money to me with running my gym. So then I thought, I'd already planned mm. a trip to Thailand. 
a year before that, I'd said to Soren, Daddy, cool the boys. I said, hey, you know what? Next year, I'm going to go to Thailand. I'm going to immerse myself for three months, just, you know, have a bit of a break for myself and, you know, chase some of the suck yarn and like all that sort of stuff, stuff mm -hmm. I was still learning about and, and get into that stuff a little bit more and do this and that. And then I went and I was meant to come back. Like I honestly, like I went in May for, after my birthday, mm. I went to Thailand. I stayed for three months, and in that three months, I met a gentleman called mm -hmm. Serta Karachar, and he's from Germany, a Turkish German, and he mm -hmm. he invited me to Germany and uh, to come and hold pads for him. He was an old fighter, and he wanted to have one more fight, and you know, <laughs> we we had a man crush. We you know like he he liked the way I hold pads. I liked the way his spirit and that, and he invited me and said, "I'll take care of you. Have nothing to worry about. You come to my country." And a few of my own mates said, I oh, don't go there, you know, like, you know, like all the bikey stuff, dad. So, but he actually, he actually looked mm -hmm. after me like a brother, like to this day, uh, I haven't seen him for a few years now, but we always communicate, say happy birthday, this and that, like, but I go to Germany and he looked after me so good. I spent three months there. So there's six months out of <laughs> Australia. I came back to Thailand and then I had to make a decision. I spoke to a few people and said, you know what? I don't really want this to end. I'm enjoying the travel. Like for 23 years of my life, having a gym, I've been stuck in one spot with a little bit of travel. Then suddenly six months of going all around the world, training people, doing stuff. I thought, you know, well, life's supposed to be about experience, not just not just like Groundhog Day. So I came back, saw my mum and said, you know what, I'm going I'm to go back overseas for a bit. I hope you're right. And, she, and at that stage in, in, in the world of Brisbane, my mum preferred me to go overseas and a lot of my friends preferred me to go. So I didn't get dragged mm. into any bullshit. So I went, went overseas and three months turned into six months, which turned into seven <laughs> and a half years later. Yeah. That's quite some time. And then, um, I guess, uh, let's go back a little bit, um, to your gym and sort of, you said you owned it for how long and how did you develop it? I, I before I left uh, my gym, my gym's, over 30 years now, I would say my gym started the same time as my fight career, 1989. So from 1989 onwards, my gym's always been opened. It's never been shut. There's never a day where it's, you couldn't walk into the gym, even when I wasn't there. Uh, so I, I would say 23 years before I left Australia. And then so now I'm back another seven or so, so 30-something years. And... Can we talk a little bit about some of the fighters you developed and what it was like initially? I know we mentioned a couple like Soren and uh, Danny. Um, so what? how did you sort of develop your gym and what was the Muay Thai scene like as it sort of went through that period? I think I'll use Soren for this because he's the best example, I think. I met Soren through his sister. Uh, where, where my gym originally was, I used to run around a park every afternoon, 10 laps, which was about 10K. And Soren, as a kid, small kid, used to sit on the stairs and watch me run. And then one day his sister brought him to the gym and said, oh, my little brother wants to train. He sees you running around the park. And so we say, okay. But Soren wasn't a real manly kid. Like he's a very quiet, he, he got raised by his mum and his sister. He was a very quiet kid with not, not you know, like, he wasn't, you know, like wasn't a naughty little kid or anything. So he comes to the gym and a lot of my mates used to say all the time, ah, oh, what do you waste your time on this kid? You help train these other guys. But there was just something in him, you know what I mean? And then one night 
they did some sparring and he and we say to him hey touch this guy up a little bit you know like in the sparring and he kicks this dude bang and everybody in the room turns around because he could kick and we'd say whoa how good is he drops an adult he's a kid so then a little bit longer one friend that i knew was running some tough man competition at, at some country town and so we go down for that but soren has his first fight on there because you know he's young we can't get in fights and they have a kid the same size so he fights on there. i think he even fought in long pants i can't remember but but he, he he fights on this thing and does good and then comes back and that's it that's the beginning of his fight career and then he ended up fighting another fighter's little brother there's a famous fighter from joe hilton's gym called warren elson he fought Warren Elson's little brother, Travis Elson, who, who grew up in Thai boxing, and Soren stopped him in the second round. And that was a big, you know, like the, everyone thought he was going to get the shit punched out of him because this kid, Warren Elson's brother, training with his brother his whole life, he's going to be tough. And Soren stopped him, and that, that's Soren started at that point where he, you could see he got confidence in himself and that. And I think I told him he wasn't allowed to punch in that fight. He could only kick. But... Uh, from there, Soren, Soren just went into that era. He fought, he fought the same guy I retired on, Kurt Finlinson. He fought him three times. He fought him in a Super 8 where he won, and he fought two other fights against him, I think, for Australian titles. And he, he, he think he was in that era where they say the golden, golden era of Australian Muay Thai. Uh, they used to have wars. Himself, Ben Pixie Burton, uh, Shannon Forrester, Humpty, Craig Hogan... Like they, there was a division there that was crazy where they fought, they all fought each other all the time. And then um, Soren came over to Eminent Air for a while. He fought at Channel Seven too, right? Yeah, so man, he fought. He fought Channel Seven. He fought Lumpini. He fought Roger Denham. You you can't, as far as Soren's credentials go, you can't go past him. And I know a lot of people say, you know, John Wayne's famous in Thailand. Everyone knows it. But at the point when I was going over, still meeting Soren. When you get in a taxi with Soren, man, there was no talk of John Wayne. They were just talking about Soren. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, fighting at Channel 7 is actually pretty rare as well. You know, there's only been maybe a handful of foreigners that have done it. Um, so going back a bit, like, so Soren's developing. What was the general Muay Thai scene like at the time? Yeah, I think, look, Australia, especially Queensland, has always had a healthy Muay Thai. Like, it's always been very Thai-orientated. We've had Thais coming, fighting, they stay, they become trainers at the gyms and everything. So I think we have got a, a really strong base. I think one of my early trips in 94, I went to New Zealand, and I met Lolo Helmuli and also uh, Sifu Philip Lamb. When I went there... That's probably the first time I went to a place where you go into City City League Guard Gym and there were like five pad holders, five Thai pad holders. And I was like, wow, you have to go to Thailand to get this experience. But man, I can come here three hours from Australia. And there it is. There's Thais and they were fighting and everything and they were training, holding pads. And I think subconsciously in my head, I actually looked at it and thought, I can do this. I can build this in Australia. So... After that, moving forward in about, I think I got my first pad holder at my gym in about 1997, 1997, 98. And then from that point, I always bought Thai pad holders all the time. 
Not, not saying that Thai pad holders are the be-all to end-all, but if you want to learn Muay Thai properly and you want to learn like like everything from the Ramoy to the cultural parts of it as well, you, well, you're crazy if you think the Thais don't know what they're doing. Of course, they. it's their sport. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. And so how did you initially get involved with the Challenger? Challenger, I, I have a lot of, a lot of my... Uh, success and a lot of my opportunities have definitely come from my relationship with Stephen Fox as far as like just 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 when I first started doing the shows he believed in me and Josh and and gave us you know a proper thing we're young blokes we couldn't afford to pay for all the tickets and everything at once and Stephen Fox man he put it on his card took uh, and, and sent him over and we paid him back you know what I mean like it, it was a very trust you know like a a relationship that we built over many years and, and I think looking back now even he would be thankful for believing in us because we built Muay Thai and we built fight sport in Australia so fast and so so strong by bringing in like you know connections you can't beat that guy if they have they have that many connections with government and everything I, I remember going to the airport with with a group of like Russians and Thais and I can't get them on the plane because something to do with the passport or something next thing you know Stephen Fox is on the phone ring man he's anyone that bags Stephen I, I understand hey we're human beings someone mightn't like this person or someone mightn't like that person but in the end you've got to give him credit for where he's got to in this sport and also as a man in life he's quite he's really successful and quite smart Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know he spent a lot of time in Australia and then moved over to uh, uh, Samoy to do all the WMC stuff, which yeah, seemed yeah, like yeah. it was very influential in the early 2000s. And also also he's got a business partner in Samui, Ralph Beale, who came from England as well. So, so yeah, that, it's the same thing. It's like anything, uh, Matt. It's networking in life. You build the right team, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that makes sense. And so let's move fast forward a little bit to when you're internationally traveling. Um, so you left, you said goodbye to your mom, and then you went over to Malaysia to help yeah. with their national team. In, in 2013, I was the national coach of the Malaysian team for the SEA Games. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? And uh, it, was, it was quite funny because when I went there, the, obviously, I've got tattoos all over me. It's a, it's a, it's an Islamic country, <laughs> uh, like so. There's, there's, there's a bit of drama right there. Uh, the nas- the new national coach walks in with tattoos all over him. They wanted me to wear long pants and long cover <laughs> things and that. Oh, yeah, I'm Aussie. I'm never gonna listen to him. Oh, yeah, whatever, mate. <laughs> I just walk in with my singlet on. But uh, I learned to deal with different situations, and I, and I think I actually learned a lot about uh, Islam and that. I learned different things like Ramadan. I trained them during Ramadan and they start whinging and they say, ah, you're big, you're bigger than us and you get to eat all day and and we don't. Mm -hmm. So I get the shits and say, you know what, fuck yous, I'll do Ramadan with you. (laughs) And we train, we wake up, we wake up at the first session, the first session is, I think we were waking up at four o'clock and they were running at 4.30 or something so that they can have the food before the sun comes up. They eat their breakfast and then we go to sleep all day and then we would wake up at like six o'clock, seven o'clock when the sun's coming down, 
we go and get our food and then we train at 9.30 at night. <laughs> so it was quite, it was like a total back, like reverse to what you would normally do. But, but I, I think they actually liked it and they saw that I was trying to work in with them. I wasn't just saying, okay, well, you've got to train this time and do this. It was something like, you know, time management. You have to understand that they can't eat food. Of course, they're going to be buggered. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the, the way we did it, I think it actually worked. Yeah. And so you spent about a year or so in Malaysia and then you went to Singapore? And I, I, spent, I spent time in Malaysia in 2011. Then in 2013, I would have only been in Malaysia maybe three months mm -hmm. okay. in, in that whole time as the coach because, they, they, man, they just crossed the border and train in Klaten anyway or whatever it is on that border town of, of Thailand and Malaysia where they all fight. Mm -hmm. And then um, you worked as well with the Singaporean national team. What, what did you learn from that experience? Ah, the Singaporean, the sink not to trust a Chinaman. That's what I learned there. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but, but I've been going back and forth from Singapore from 2006 mm -hmm. because I actually uh, had shares in a tattoo shop there, but this for the Sakyan. But uh, in that time, I met many Singaporean people about Muay Thai and that. I've done a lot of seminars and things. And then I think slowly, because of Challenger, obviously, it was on AXN TV, every, anywhere through Asia. Everyone knows AXN, so through that, I had a little bit of celebrity status, I'd say. But then I met a gentleman called Robert that, that owns a gym at Golden Mile, and he actually brought me on. My friend Raphael introduced us, and from that point, uh, they just brought me in, and I think I just became a bit of a, like, they, they, were, they just got used to having me around. I think I built their confidence and made them feel, you know, like just being around them. And I don't muck around. Everyone knows my style with training. You know, like uh, if, if I'm going to hit you, I'm going to hit you. If I'm, go I'm not going to do anything half-hearted. And I think that's a lot of people forget. They all want to do technique and move around. But, man, you can't act like you've had 100 fights if you've never been hit. You, you, the first part about fighting is knowing you're going to get hit. Yeah. For sure. And so let's uh, fast forward a little bit to sort of present day stuff. Uh, I know you spent some time at the pit and then you said uh, two to three years ago, you opened your own spot. Um, what has uh, your gym been like since you opened it? What's the contemporary Australian Muay Thai scene look like? Yeah, when, when, I, when I first, I, I started to come back and forth. I didn't come back to Queensland originally for obvious reasons, but I uh, would go to Melbourne and Sydney and also Perth. Uh, for, for Melbourne, say, I, I can't, hey, I've got one friend in the sport that I'll always give credit to, which is Mark the Hammer, Castagani. He's helped me so much, not just in my career, but as, as, a, as a big brother, he, he always gives me good advice and that. And he, he brought me to his gym a lot in Melbourne and I also met Blair one trip in Thailand and, and he asked me, could I come and help at the pit with some of the boys just in training and that. So I, uh, I did that, which was good time, good time as well because the pits, they all train hard and everything. Uh, then back and forth, I was still in Singapore at that time and I, I had a meeting with some of my mates, came from Queensland to meet me in Melbourne and we said, hey, let's do a gym. And we got together, Tricky Trev uh, from Gumdale Demolition and also Paul Demacoli. Uh, and we sat and we said, you know what, let's do a gym. It's probably that time. People are starting to look for, like, it's, it's more of a business now than just a dirty little Thai boxing gym. So uh, we start, we say, we make a date and we start doing, like, you know, what it takes to start the gym. 
get all the car park, get the right building, get everything. And at the point when they said, okay, it's time to start, I fly back to Queensland. I came from Perth. I actually came from Perth to Queensland, I think. Mm-hmm. And so what is the gym like now? Um, how big is it? What, you know, what sort of the situation with the gym? Uh, the gym, the gyms. I think I'm not very good at this <laughs> stuff, but I think the gym's a thousand square mm-hmm, meters. Mm-hmm. It's quite big. That we have a coffee mm-hmm. shop. We've got like change rooms. We've got shower, hot showers. We've got all all the amenities or whatever it's called that people need these days before they go to work to train. But yeah, it's it's we. I would say the difference between my gym now and what it used to be before. I used to lock the gate and not let people <laughs> in. And just have like eight boys that trained and they were all like the, the cream of the crop. But now I open to everybody and everybody trains at the same time. There's no favorites. There's no whatever. But obviously I've got boys that are coming through that are quite good. I've got and, and now we're doing before we just did Thai boxing. Now we do boxing, Muay Thai, MMA. You name it. If it's got to do with punching people in the face, we do it. What is uh, Muay Thai scene like in Queensland right now? And what is it like um, in Australia? You had to ask, didn't you? Yeah. If, I, if I'm really honest, and I don't care who thinks what or thinks I'm an asshole, it's shit. Mm-hmm. It's actually sh- like I have a bit mm-hmm. of a giggle to myself because a lot of people live on what we did before. You know, like, like the names that we did before when John Wayne, all those guys – like Bruce McPhee, Soren, all at the mm-hmm. top of their game when Evo was the best and going hard. Now people are still like they they think that they should be treated like they're in that era, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Man, there's guys rocking around that think they're Muay Thai masters. I don't know. Maybe I've been maybe I'm a grumpy old kind of been in the sport too long. But but like I I don't have much time for many of those blokes. But I, I really do believe with Paul Demacoli and eruption. Uh, Cy in Melbourne with Rebellion, Mark the Hammer with Warrior's Way, uh, Blair in Perth with Domination, and also uh, uh, Gavin Fuller with uh, the Grand Prix thing that he's doing. They're, they're, you know, and also Sydney Andrew Parnham uh, with the stuff mm-hmm. he does, and also Lewis Regis, guys like that that I've mentioned. Yeah, Australia's still got a chance to go back to where it used to be, but. If people people don't all work together, we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, for sure. Like you were saying before, it takes a team to like really develop. It takes things. a team. And then, yeah. um, how would you say that Australian Muay Thai has changed over? You know, obviously, you've been in the sport for three decades. How has it changed over the last three decades? On on, on a positive way, I think the fighters. That, that are that are proper that that travel to Thailand and come back and forth and also you know they come from good gyms that they've got that strong base from from when when their trainers trained guys from Mark Pisa's guys from Paul Madigan's in at Maddox guys from like even uh, in Sydney I, I don't know the young guy's name I spent some time with him in Thailand. He owns a gym. Uh, Ilias, the referee of the One Series, trains at the gym. Oh, I can't think mm-hmm. of his name. But Aram or something. I think it's Aram. That gym. Yeah, that gym. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lewis, as I said before, Andrew Parnham, like Pinky in, in Adelaide. All these guys saw us in, in our golden era of, of, of making the sport great here. So I think 
them seeing that has helped them motivate them to, to be the best they can be. But on the negative side, if I was honest, I, I walk into the fights and I see guys with, you know, they've got the Pacamar wrapped around their waist. They wouldn't even know what it's called. And they've got like a magic riding all over it. And they've got Mong Kongs <laughs> and they've got 20 amulets. Cut it out, cunts. You're not Thai. Like, like I understand respect. Hey, man, I've got Sakyan all over me. But I can chant every chant for every every tattoo I've got. I can I can I, I can hold myself rightly in a in a in a temple. I know what bows to do. I know what not to do. What to do? Don't kid yourself. Don't think that you can wear something around your waist and wear something around your head and it's going to make you Superman. Only thing that's going to make you Superman is your brain and your heart. So I think people have got lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that happens. You know. The distance, the time, you know, people don't always have that direct experience. And so I guess just wrapping things up, is there things that you wanted to talk about in terms of Australian Muay Thai that we didn't talk about? Ah, there's nothing real. I, I, you know me, Matt, I'll just cruise along. I answer what you, what someone asked me, but yeah, I never, I, I let my actions speak louder <laughs> than my words. Good, good. Well, uh, we definitely want to see more of you in action. Where can people follow along with you and sort of, uh, you know, see what's going on? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. You can, yeah, mainly Instagram, uh, Nugget McNaught, or if you don't want to follow me because you don't like me, you can follow the gym, NTG. But yeah, it, anything like that, anything on the social media type stuff, we've, we've got some sort of uh, platform there. Okay, well, uh, thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you too, Matt. Thanks, thanks very much. And you're doing a great job, like, uh, you know, interviewing people and doing what you do. It's great. Thank you. So a great interview with Nugget. I thought he had a lot to offer, you know, a lot of context to the sport, talking about his time overseas and, really just getting the sport going in Australia. Of course, everyone has that sort of common connection with a Zendo Kai uh, karate and just being part of that, then also his experiences over here in Thailand. So thank you so much to Nugget for taking your time out, of course, and doing this interview. We will be back in a week or two with an interview with Kaylee Reese. Thank you, as always, for listening. And once again, if you like this show and if you like the content, would be great if you could share, uh, leave a review on iTunes, and really support the show and what I'm doing here. If you'd like to reach me, you can follow me on Instagram at LucasMuayThai or email me at a.matt.lucas at gmail.com. As always, this has been On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. This show was edited by Effie Ceruti. You can find me on Instagram at Effie underscore FC or on Facebook at Effie Ceruti.